You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. So our culture uh, is really in, big in, in on kind of demons and the demonic lately. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've watched ESPN at all, we got this ad. Does anybody know what they're selling here? Close, but Popeyes might sue you because this is KFC. There's this one that the sandwich is apparently so spicy, it's a demon-possessed, sinfully, demonically spicy sandwich. If you hit me with the next one, right here, the Diablo. I don't know what makes it the Maybe it's the two pieces of fried chicken, the bacon and the cheese. It promises to kill you eventually. Maybe that's how it goes. But there's this big fascination in our culture. It's not new. It's across kind of the whole world. It's every country. It's every culture. It's hundreds of years. The demons and this horror genre itself has always popped up. There's the 1973 classic, The Exorcist. This kind of launches a whole new breed of horror movies that are in the popular imagination. And usually they have religious overtones, like the exorcism. There's a priest there, he's trying his best, it's not working out. There's more modern versions, like 2023. Someone kidnapped Russell Crowe and made him do this movie. (laughs) I don't know anything about it, but it's not a good look for our guy, Russell Crowe. And then there's all the generic horror movies where, hey, there's something wrong with the house. There's something wrong with the relative. There's something wrong with the vacation. There's something wrong of the object, the doll, the toy. You know, it'd be like uh, the movie Us or the movie like Amityville Horrors, all these different movies that are all preying into this horror genre. And then there's this one I found on the internet. It's titled, uh, after today's sermon, Legion where we have a very jacked angel who apparently needs both a knife and a machine gun to finish the drill. Our story will feature no angels, no guns, and no knives, but that is the popular imagination. And horror as a genre slinks around in two general ways. There's two ways it operates. First is not taking itself too seriously. Like that movie, Legion, you're meant to laugh at the -the over-the-top madness. Maybe there's some jump scares. But the point of the movie is to get you to say, this is all ridiculous. Like the new Doctor Strange movie or Zombieland. It's it's not a real reflection of life. It's more kind of laughing at itself with you. But there's the second way that the genre plays out. That horror intrigues us because maybe it's all a little too real. That none of this would be scary. No amount of cinematography or acting could make it scary if we absolutely believed it wasn't real. That there wasn't a hint of truth. That there wasn't a part of us that fears or believes that the supernatural is all around us. And that it's not controllable. And it might not necessarily be good either. It's this sneaking fear that something may actually be creeping towards us, that the grave is not off waiting for us, but maybe something's here to pull us right to it. 
the evil, the devil, demons, they do, as the Bible describes in the Old and New Testaments, they do prowl around. That's the consistent testimony of the Bible. So Jesus meets a man who's possessed by demons. Verse 26. So they arrived in the region of Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he'd been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside of town. They called them necropolises, cities of the dead, places no one wanted to be. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of them. And Gerasenes is notable for two reasons we got to keep in our mind. First, this is Gentile territory. For the most part, Jesus's ministry has been rolling all around Jewish areas where people had an expectation of the Messiah, had some understanding that this Old Testament figure was coming and he was gonna deliver us and things like that. But now we're in a Gentile area where they're less familiar with who this Jesus might be. And they're raising a lot of pigs. That didn't happen in Jewish life, forbidden. So the Gentiles got all the pigs. And the second thing we need to know, this is on the Eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, And there's only one notable section of cliffs, both then and now, and Gerasenes is it. So we got pigs and we got a cliff. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, it records the same story. And it says, the demons saw Jesus from far off and came running. They started sprinting as the boat pulls up. And the demons aren't coming to battle Jesus but they're coming in total fear of Jesus, the king of the universe has shown up in their town. And what we need to recognize, any cultural story of like God versus evil, and they're gonna wrestle and then like evil might win, all those stories are not Christian. They're not biblical, they're not true. There is no point in this story or any story in the Bible where Jesus, where Jesus is command and control of every situation. Jesus ain't sweating. Jesus ain't struggling. Jesus is the God of gods. He's not afraid of a ghost, a demon, or anything like that. And notice how the demons have oppressed and tortured this man. We get such a quick download on who he is and what's been going on. First, we see that the demons have made this man homeless. He's living in these tombs outside of town. He's isolated from all people. He's cut off from community. The tombs were not these well-manicured lawns and flowers where you're like, I don't know, you could camp out there at the one in Trustville. You know, it'd be creepy and weird and you'd probably get in trouble, but like, it's a nice looking area. That is not what this is. This is the den of jackals and wild animals. These are shallow dug graves. Gentiles and Jews alike didn't want to dwell around there. They were thought to be cursed, to be haunted, make you ceremonially unclean for the Jews. For the Gentiles, they just didn't want a piece of where they buried their dead year after year, even century after century of these towns. This man was alone. The second thing we learn is this man is nude. And no one in their culture or our culture really walks around just in the nude. It's culturally shameful. Now it's culturally shame 
fold then. It'd be so isolating. And then also think about it's just physical body, hot and cold, sand and rocks, rain every day, living among the tombs. This man was in rough, rough shape. And the third thing we learn from the Mark 5 account is this man was often howling, having super strength, ripping apart chains, and even cutting himself with stones. And so there's some real elements of self-harm, this destructive streak that the devil and the demons are possessing him with. Now, every instance of self-harm isn't demonic, but in this picture it is. And in 1 Kings 18, it is, and Leviticus, it is, that that seems to be a part of the pagan and demonic cult practices. And it shows this larger trend that demonic work in the Bible kind of moves a certain way. The demons, the demonic, they want you to become unhuman. That's the goal. Over and over, they manipulate people to howl, to live, to be like an unreasoning animal, to be wrapped up in shameful acts, to be isolated from community that would love or help or do anything for them because the demons want to dehumanize us because we're made in the image of God. We're made to represent God in the world. We're meant to shine in a way that shows the glory of God. And so the demon possession, the work of the devil is to dehumanize humans by any means necessary to make them like animals. And that's what you see of this man. He lives where the animals live. He acts like the animals act. And you might think, all right, cool, Justin. That's a big demon download. What's that have to do with me? Well, I don't think the devil's strategies have changed all that much in 2,000 years. But the devil might not need demons to accomplish his attack on your life when lies will do the work just as easy. Remember, Jesus calls the devil in John 8, the father of lies. And tell me which of these sounds a little too familiar. The devil tries to isolate us, just like the man, by slipping us the lie. No one really knows me, cares about me, or understands me. Only someone just like me or my experiences can help me, be friends with me, or have empathy. Everybody's judging me. If these friends aren't like my decades-long high school friends or family, they must not care. You ever feel like some of those might might be true? Notice about all those lies, they're all focused on us and our preferences, not on loving others. Therefore, it's ripped out the foundation of any real friendship. To believe those will keep you isolated forever. No demon possession required. Check out this one. The devil tries to shame us by slipping us the lie. If they only knew the things I have done slash I'm doing, they would reject me over help me. I'm worthless because what I've done or what has been done to me. I don't deserve love, respect, friendship. They'll leave me in the end because I'm not enough. 
those sound familiar and quiet, scary moments of life? Or maybe they're the reason that you avoid the quiet moments in life and filled with busyness and noise because you might hear those kind of whispers again. And last, the devil tries to destroy us with lies, trapping us in destructive patterns. It just sounds like this. I have an addictive personality, so I guess alcoholism, drug use is my only future. God won't provide a Christian spouse for me, so I'll date someone knowing it'll be a rocky marriage. My life isn't what I thought it'd be, so I'll doom scroll social media, lost in jealousy and pity. I was hurt by my family, my friends, my church, my work, so I won't do meaningful relationships again. The most powerful lies that the devil will try to tell you are just like the lies in the Garden of Eden. Like a donut filled with deceit, filled with like poison cream, there's just a couple of sprinkles of truth on top. Just enough to make it sound believable. Because addiction is real and real difficult, but sobriety is possible with God. Amen? Undesired singleness gets harder as a decade or two passes, but it doesn't mean that God's love and his ways are false. Great expectations unfulfilled in your life, yeah, they're really disorienting. Whether those promises were put on you or or self-prophesied about your life, when things don't go right, it's hard. Yet God's plan is still better than our best dream. Hurt is real and a powerful emotion, but that doesn't have to be your whole story. God loves to heal things, redeem things, and maybe even heal things in the very same setting that the hurt happened. How long will you let demons write your story over Jesus? How long do the lies get to be the loudest thing in the room? My prayer for citizens is we just would not let the devil's schemes and their lies take us down these paths, paths of isolation, paths of shame, paths of self-destruction. And I pray instead of just identifying the lies that we would hear the truth of Jesus, his love and his grace for us instead that it would grow louder and louder and louder that the lies feel weaker and weaker as they go. There's a book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And he describes a conversation between two demons on how to deceive and distract and destroy humans. And it hits on this very point. It says, it is funny how mortals, that would be us, always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. There is truth, there is grace, there's freedom to be found in Jesus who never lies, who always tells the truth and can set you free even if you've been lost in a lie for a decade or more. The devil slips us lies. He keeps us from seeing truth. He's reasoning, even reality. But here's the good news. As real as the demons are, as defeating as the devil's lies feel, as much as sin can control us, 
Jesus is real too. Jesus is the truth himself. He's the light in our darkness. And Jesus, look, he commands a legion of demons. Whatever's controlling you, Jesus can command it. Your freedom is on the other side of Jesus. Church, there are things that go bump in the night, but there's nothing that goes bump in the night that Jesus isn't Lord over. And the demons know it. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, speaking of the demons, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged, begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Jesus, they call him the son of the most high God and they're correct. The demons know that Jesus is great, yet they can only imagine that Jesus is here to torture them. They believe Jesus is great in power, but they refuse to know Jesus's goodness. Torture isn't on the menu for Jesus. Read the gospels. He's not walking around torturing people. It's not there. A judgment will come one day. That's the abyss they mentioned, but that's not today. Jesus is here to save and heal a broken world. And so the demons know who Jesus is, but they don't know who Jesus is. They know in some way of his power, but they're lost on his character or refuse to trust him. So the demons are searching for comfort and they make this bizarre request. Verse 32, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission and the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. And the herdsmen saw what had happened, imagined their panic and they fled and told it in the city and told it in the country. And the people went out to see what happened. The demons intentionally drown the pigs. Fun fact, pigs can swim. They're great at it. So they're thrown off the cliff. It is a cliff. They hit the water and the demons are pulling them under to kill them all. The Mark 5 account says it's 2,000 pigs at once. That's a lot of pigs. Pigs weigh like 100 plus pounds as an adult. That's a lot of dead animal, probably about as far as the eye can see in this lake of bobbing, dead, rotting pigs as people come back and see them. Elena's had enough. (laughs) All animal crises at our Roebuck Springs home are handled by me. We've delegated in the marriage. And it's easy to ask, why does Jesus allow them to enter these pigs? And simply Jesus does it to show us, to show them, to show everyone, this is what demons do. Demons are not here to play. They're here to kill you. They're here to destroy you. They're here to ruin things. And to show us this was the fate of this demon-possessed man. This self-harm, this homelessness, this in the elements, this isolated from everyone, it was rolling towards some sort of cliff eventually. 
If Jesus doesn't intervene, this poor man was going to be in a scenario like this sooner than later. And now the news goes wild through the countryside. They emphasize in the city and in the countryside, the herdsmen don't stop. They are letting everybody know, verse 35. And then the people went out to see what happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Before we look at the people, first look and draw your attention to the man. The man's no longer alone. He's with people for the first time and who knows how long. He's no longer isolated, but he at least belongs to Jesus and the disciples and can belong to this community if they'll have him back and want him back. The word healed here is sozo, which also means saved. This man's had a complete change. He's not naked, but clothed. His shame is washing away. He's not destroying himself, but of a sound mind. He's even ready to follow Jesus in the next verses. And here's the truth, church. Jesus wants to save us spiritually, but Jesus also cares about making us whole. Like literally whole. Whole physically, whole socially, whole mentally, both in this life as a part of the work he's doing and in the next. What doesn't get done in this life will be done in resurrection. That's why as Christians, we have a faith that speaks to everything. When someone's like, oh, I'm not into that spiritual stuff. Well, good thing. Christianity's into all of the stuff. There's no thing that Christ isn't speaking to. He's the Lord of all creation. He holds creation together, Colossians 1. Jesus is restoring, showing this man, I'm not just saving his soul, though that's amazing. I'm also redeeming him in every aspect of his life. And what he does to the man, he also wants to do with you. The journey might not get done in this life, but one day it will be. Uniquely you following Jesus with your whole heart, whole and restored. The demon-possessed man has come to a conclusion in his faith. He has lived a life under these demons. He's lived a life full of discomfort and physical pain. But now he has found healing and rest at the very feet of Jesus. But sadly, the people, people from the town, people from the countryside, they come to a different conclusion. I did some research on ancient and modern pig pricing and some conversion rates. I wouldn't say I have a PhD in it, but um, likely this 100-pound-plus adult pig was worth about $500 to us today. Times 2,000 pigs, it's a cool $100,000. And they lived on far less back then. So these herdsmen are shocked because their livelihood literally fell off a cliff. Everything they have, everything their family depends on has changed. It wasn't their fault and it happened all at once. So there's a reason they are running and telling everyone something is happening. Disaster is here. And so the people fear. They fear for their loss. They fear the changes they've experienced just today. 
They fear what they don't understand and the change of the man. They fear the power of this mysterious Jesus. They fear that perhaps something worse will happen if they don't get Jesus just out of here. And it becomes clear they fear this new reality with a healed man and a powerful Jesus more than they fear their former reality with a demon-possessed man among the tombs and no Jesus. And tragically, they're actually just making the same mistake as the demons. They see Jesus as obviously great. He's powerful, but they don't know or trust his goodness. They miss what's happened to this man. They miss this man's humanity. They've become comfortable with him as a homeless guy in the tombs and whatever. And instead of valuing and seeing that who cares about the pigs if the man is saved, they're worried about the pigs in the future. Notice no one asked Jesus for help economically when in the very next chapter, he'll feed 5,000 people. There's no problem with the willingness of Jesus to fix the fortunes of the herdsmen. Notice they don't ask the man who's been teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and patient and teaching and patient and teaching. They don't ask him for any explanation. What makes this story the weirdest is Jesus almost says nothing. He asks the demons their name. Gives them permission to go into pigs. That's about all we get. They fear their fate will be like the pigs and they miss Jesus's mission to heal them like the man who's in front of them all together. Unlike the disciples who are on the lake in the storm who also were afraid and really afraid, scary stuff, they ran to Jesus. They're the model to run to Jesus in your fear. Don't run to try to find comfort somewhere else. But rather in their fear, they choose to drive away Jesus and then condemning themselves. Verse 37, then all the people in the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized of great fear. So he got into the boat and he returned. They refused the comfort of Jesus and demand Jesus leaves. They don't realize they're actually in the same danger as the pigs. Without Jesus, condemnation is our fate and is our fate too. He's a savior who comes to actually save us from actual danger. They say, if I could just have my former life, everything would be okay. They don't realize that Jesus isn't the danger. In fact, Jesus is the only solution. I want you to look at maybe the most famous passage in the New Testament, John 3 with me. But have it with those eyes of who's condemned and who is at work to save those condemned. This is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that would be Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. Jesus isn't like the demons. Jesus isn't trying to fling you off a cliff. Jesus is trying to save you and heal you like the demon-possessed man in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. 
But whoever, the town, the countryside, the herdsman does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus has came not to condemn you, but to save you. Our sins have already left us condemned. We stand guilty before God. There is a final judgment, but God has sent a savior and his name is Jesus. And he's proved it by saving the least of these to say, I can save anybody. You might think, oh, Jesus, if you're coming down, avoid the tombs, avoid that guy. Who knows what will happen? He has super strength. He's howling. He's like an animal. And Jesus says, oh, he's first up. Batter up. Where's that guy? Oh, he's running towards me. Great. We're on the same page. Everyone in the story is a panic to find comfort anywhere except the greatness and goodness of Jesus. The demons go for the pigs. The herdsmen seek safety in numbers. We're going to tell everybody who has breath. The town and the countryside, they look over the whole scene and ask everybody but Jesus, what's going on. And then the town and the countryside, they decide, let's chase comfort by chasing away Jesus before anything else bad happens today. And the only one in this story who receives comfort is the formerly demon-possessed man because he's with Jesus. He's doing great. And no one seems to notice that part or to skip right over it back to what might I lose in following Jesus? What might it mean if Jesus is great? Church, where are you chasing comfort? Is it money? That's a pretty common one here in America. Here today, gone today money? Is it relationships? Is it food, vacations, status, entertainment? Here's the truth. If you put enough of your burdens, the things you want comfort from on any of those things, they're going to crumble like a steep cliff too. There's no vacation that will ever fix what's going on. There's no amount of money that will make you happy. Turn on the news. There's no relationship, even a good relationship, even a strong marriage ain't going to fix it either. There's only one thing you are made to find your deepest comfort in, and that's Jesus because he made you. And part of being fully human to express all that you were created to be is to recognize you were made by God for God. The ache they all feel is right in front of them. He's finally here, but they've been addicted too long to the comforts of this world. They're addicted to the fear. They're addicted to the shame. They're addicted to all the things and they run for it and say, Jesus, you got to go. But Jesus is actually the only way forward. But here's how good Jesus is. They say, go away. But look at this last twist in the story. Verse 38. Look how he pushes past our hard heart. The man from whom the demons had begged the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home, go back to where 
you used to belong and belong again and declare how much God has done for you. So the man goes away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is an interesting request by Jesus. He's been letting people follow him and telling everyone who wants to talk about Jesus not to talk about him. This is a grand reversal. And the reason is he told the people before in the Jewish regions, hey, don't tell everyone about me just yet. There's so much misunderstanding of what the Savior Messiah is. But in this Gentile area, he says, go ahead and go for it, man. Just tell them your story with me at the center, and that will be what we need to say today. And he goes, and apparently as Jesus is kicked out, Jesus is good enough to leave a faithful witness to himself. And what we see is Jesus doesn't leave these people condemned, but he provides a way of their salvation through this man. And we see in Mark 7, the story goes forward because Jesus comes back to the area. Look what it says. Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. That means 10 cities, Decapolis, which is this region of Gerasenes. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay hands on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately. When Jesus returns to this area, it's no longer the demons begging for mercy, but people begging to be with Jesus. The man's testimony worked. The witness went out and people see that they need Jesus. They're bringing the sick. They're bringing the deaf. They're bringing people who are struggling. And there's crowd so much, he has to pull people aside to have a private conversation. Jesus is so good that even when we push Jesus away, it doesn't stop his pursuit of us. Listen, Jesus is always coming after you far more than you're coming after him. That God's love is insatiable, it's beautiful, it's powerful, and it actually loves you all the way down. And he's providing faithful witnesses to encourage you in your life. He's providing the church to encourage your faith, worship to encourage your faith, liturgy, sermons, togetherness, community groups, all the things to build you up and draw you in and help you taste and see and know the goodness of God in your life. So let's stop letting the lies of the devil write our story and instead say, I need not the comforts of this world, but I need the greatness of Jesus to deliver me from my sins, to deliver me from what feel like demons, to deliver me from my secrets, to deliver me from my inadequacies, to help me. I actually need a Jesus who's great to free me. But I need a Jesus who's good to fill the ache in this soul. Amen? Jesus is the Savior who saves by a cross where he was condemned for our sins. Jesus is good. Jesus is also the Lord who commands and comforts us. Jesus is great.